Good evening. Welcome to Down Syndrome Radio. Uh, Mark Owens here with my host, Jason Kosky. We are the Downright Awesome Dads. We're here to teach you about uh, parenting children with Down Syndrome. Uh, today is December 9th, 2012. What episode are we at, Jason? I forget. Uh, I think 15. 15. 15. Okay, well, we have a super fabulous guest here for you today. You're going to learn a lot today, more than usual, I think. Uh, and Very uh, b- before we get to the big reveal, don't read the, the, the title on your you know your file <laughs> download. <laughs> but I want to ask, see how you're doing over there in California, Jason. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Um, you know, general holiday craziness, but um, otherwise, we are we are doing great. We took a week off at Thanksgiving and went up to the Bay Area um, for a couple days, and and then we have some friends who we stayed with in um, the Central Coast area of California uh, over Thanksgiving. We've been we've been going there every year since we've been on the west coast for no 12 12 years or something now so it's tradition with your firm traditions but it's great it's like it's like going home they're actually the parents of of some of our good friends so we go there and get treated like kids and they're like second grand mom grandparents to our kids so so it's it's nice it's very nice so have you got some spirit are you in the spirit man you know, today this this weekend, um, yes, we 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 put the lights on our Christmas tree uh, last night. We are um, going through the the decorating, the, uh, finishing the tree um, tonight. So, yes, I am made made some chocolate chip cookies today. We started the baking process. We are getting there. We're ready. All right, buddy. As far as shopping stuff, though, that's that stuff I usually put off to the last minute. <laughs> Amazon. Amazon is the, is the elves of, is of the, the 2010s, whatever they're called. Amazon is the best. Does it it's, feel it's like Christmas friend. with it that warm over there? Can it really feel like Christmas? You know, um, no, <laughs> no, no, and yes, yes and no. I guess it's it does it, it is different. Um, it, it's been, I think, warmer this year. Usually, we go to a couple like holiday parades and stuff, and usually, it's 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 cooler at night. Even you have to wear long um, sleeves. You have to wear like you know a, a sweatshirt. Whoa. Um, and and you know you're relatively cool, but but um, this it's, year it really hasn't been cool. Yeah, it's been it's been warmer cool too. Yeah, it's not. It really hasn't been that cold. We haven't got any snow or anything. So uh, over here on the other coast, um, you know, we are definitely in the Christmas spirit here. Uh, things are going pretty well. We got all decorations up. I've got some some uh, um, gifts already purchased. That extra week. Yeah, that- I saw a great picture of your kids on Facebook too. Yeah, it was a really good yeah. picture. Yeah, I mean, I even got my older kids. That was a picture of the three of them with Santa that he's referring yeah. to. And you know, they're not so keen to get up there with Santa. So, um, you know, that's 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 a rare one. I'm not sure how many more of those we're gonna get. But it was a great picture. That was actually at our Down Syndrome, uh, um, Down Syndrome Association of Greater Richmond party, which was wonderful. Oh, cool. And that Santa was fabulous. They had presents for every single kid. It was uh, it was very, very nice. Crazy nice. Of course, it was like 70 degrees out, so here I am complaining about you. <laughs> uh, Rick just got on, so I'm going to try to add him in here real quick if I can. Look at that. On the fly radio you're listening to right here. Rick has no idea what he's jumping into. Oh, look at his picture. That the baby with the Jets, the Jets hat on. He, uh, Laura, oh, I, oh, I can't talk to you yet. I haven't revealed you yet. He has a new baby. 
<laughs> who's maybe uh, maybe six weeks old now or so. Rick, you there yet, bud? I am here. Can you hear me? I sure can. Turn yourself up just a little bit. Okay, let's see what I can do for that. Rick, welcome. We're just giving Hello. our updates, and uh, we're, you were going through Richmond, and uh, we have Christmas spirit here in Richmond. Things are going well. That extra week of Thanksgiving being a little bit early is going to make everybody's Christmas nicer. Yeah, that was great. That's great, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was the key. It seemed so weird that Thanksgiving was so early, but but now it's it's great. I mean, we got our Christmas tree last weekend, and then it just kind of sat in our house uh, before we decorated it, and I don't feel rushed to do anything. Rick, yeah, our, our, I, I want to be in San Diego or Richmond then because uh, two-month-old baby world is different, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. I'm just like holding on as we fly through these holidays. So. Oh yeah, and then you look at pictures and wish you were back there, but there's nothing you can do. It goes by fast, man. Full speed ahead. Full speed ahead. All right, I think I'm gonna launch into our guest if that's all right. We haven't we haven't revealed yet, and you haven't met. I'm gonna do a little quick behind the scenes picking up uh, my notes here. Uh, Our guest today. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little personal background. It's not really behind the scenes if you talk about it. <laughs> is uh, a favorite of uh, of my wife actually uh she listens to uh this person's podcast uh and uh it's it's been it's been really helpful to us as as we've gone on kind of less less of just a, a down syndrome resource or a feel-good resource but more of a of a break it down this is how it really works uh, uh podcast so we i've been kind of saving her and uh, sure enough, uh, in in true Down Syndrome Radio style, everybody we have asked, no matter how you know uh, popular or important they are, has always been willing to volunteer their time to talk to us, which is wonderful. We have a great community. But we have with us today, Laura Mice. Laura, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. How are you guys? Oh, uh, we're you just heard we're all doing great. But. <laughs> Uh, uh, if you if you recognize Laura's voice, because it's because it's the kind of voice you'd recognize, she's from uh, TeachMeToTalk.com. Uh, Laura is a pediatric speech pediatric speech language pathologist. Uh, she specializes in children birth to three, so this is right in in your and I's range anyway, um, uh, Jason. So uh, you know that's why we've been listening to her. She has a, a BS in communication disorders from Mississippi University. Uh, for women, and an MS in speech language pathology from the University of Southern Mississippi. As you can tell, there's a lot of South there. Uh, and she founded and authors the website teachmetotalk.com. We highly recommend you go over there. It's the kind of website that not just, I don't know, republishes other stuff or whatever. It, it, there's a lot of actual uh, resources there that will, as the name tells you, teach teach you to talk. <laughs> And she also has a fantastic podcast, uh, Teach Me to Talk with Lauren Kate. Uh, and, uh, you know, they podcast about weekly, much more frequently than we do. And uh, they really, really get into the the nitty-gritty of, uh, of getting children to speak. And uh, I, I've learned a lot. So there you go. Laura, tell us about yourself. Well, I think that was such a nice introduction. Thank you so much. Um, I've started... My 20th year as a speech-language pathologist, and it does not feel like 20 years. Um, then you must we be having fun. Started te- I'm sorry, what? Then you must be having fun. We are. We are. We have a lot going on. We launched uh, the website, teachmetotalk.com, in January 1st, 2008. So we're coming up on our fifth year anniversary. Holy smokes. Uh, which is really exciting. And I love what you were telling me before the show, Mark, and what you said about uh, the site now. It is content driven 
And that's the main reason that we started Teach Me to Talk is so that parents would have a reliable resource and not just really generic recommendations like talk to your baby, read to your baby. You know, there's a lot more to it than that when we're helping young children learn to communicate and link meaning with words and begin to use those words expressively. So I started the website so that we would, again, be a source of information for parents and for professionals. And I'm so excited that we're able to uh, talk about the website and talk about communication in general, especially for your audience. And when we can get it to the point and the people that really need the information, which are moms and dads. So again, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. The first thing we like to ask people about is, uh, you know, tell us about their family and their children and kind of how they got in the business, so to speak. Was there yeah. some sort of a, some sort of a, uh, something that kicked you over and made you want to do this? Well, I will tell you that I became a speech language pathologist because my mother had a friend who knew a speech pathologist. And when I was picking a major in college, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. And my mother's friend called her and said, you know, I've met this person. I had this, this friendship with her. And she reminds me so much of your daughter. Has she thought about speech pathology? I had no idea what that was. And the little university that I went to, a small public university in Mississippi, happened to have that offered as a major. And I just started going over and hanging out and seeing what those therapy people did. And it was such a good fit. And so I just had super advice my first semester of college. And so that really is um, how I picked this field. And again, I think it was just divine intervention because I can't imagine doing anything else. So, so that's kind of how that started. My um, family life, I am married to my college sweetheart, and we are about to be married 26 years. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's still going pretty well, all those naysayers. <laughs> Probably still can't believe it when I get the Christmas card every year. <laughs> uh, but we have children. <laughs> Jonathan and Tyler are both in their early 20s, and we were talking, again, Mark, they are studying engineering, so I understand people like you, since I've parented two guys who are studying engineering, and then we have a daughter who's a junior in high school um, who is 16, so that's uh, kind of our, our family story. Johnny, my husband, is actually the other half of TeachMeToTalk.com. He does all of our tech stuff, and again, has produced all of our um, DVDs that we offer, and we self-publish therapy manuals, and he has figured out how to do all of that. So he makes me look really, really good by making every sort of um, dream I have come true. If, if I have a new project, he somehow figures out a way to do it. So he certainly is the other half of teachmetotalk.com. Well, then you should definitely stay married to him for at least another year. There you go. One more year at least. <laughs> Uh, so you know most of the people we've had on have had you know some sort of a genesis where they had a person that they you know had a disability and that's kind of what triggered the whole thing but you we have this other this other lady to thank for uh for all your help in this there's there's little children out there that have this lady to thank don't they oh that's so sweet to say and you know actually after i started really looking at speech pathology i realized that we had a pretty strong family history of communication difficulty, but my I didn't even really put it together until I started taking 
classes and doing academic work. My mother's father was pretty difficult to understand even as an adult. And now I've come to realize he probably had apraxia of speech undiagnosed his entire life. And then there were children, you know, again, my, my aunt has a son who had speech therapy pretty early at that time. I think he started when he was in, oh God, kindergarten or first grade in the 70s. And we weren't doing the things in speech pathology or with early uh, communication that we are now. And so again, I think I have that family tie and I have that story. It just happened after I chose my career. So a little, a little different path, but I think it was meant to be. Excellent. Excellent. You had like a little, a little profitary, uh, you know, <laughs> you must've been able to see in the future. You could call it that. Yeah. So tell us um, uh, how, how you met Kate and how you got going with the, with, the, with the podcast part. Well, the podcast started when Johnny would hear me have these conversations with lots of my therapist friends, these cell phone conversations. And then again, because we um, had an office and Johnny really managed the administrative part of that, did all of the billing and our you know, supervised our folks and all, all of that piece. And he would just hear me have these conversations with other therapists who either called me about a child that we shared or called me to ask advice. And so he would hear these for years, these back and forth conversations. And Kate and I actually met in the late 90s because she was a service coordinator for uh, First Steps of Indiana. And that's the birth to three early intervention program for the state of Indiana. And I was a speech therapist, you know, of course, they're just seeing children. And we just struck up a friendship and we are polar opposites on nearly everything. You know, whatever the topic is, religion, politics, parenting, um, just oh, anything. If I say black, Kate says white. But somehow we struck up a pretty good friendship that revolved around uh, our clinical practices. And she was just moving into um, becoming a, a, a direct service provider. So she was going from being a service coordinator to uh, learning how to be a developmental therapist. Now she has a great background. She's her um, formal education, her first degree is in psychology and her second is in nursing, but it was just not a good fit for her in either of those fields. So she decided to try uh, developmental therapy and she laughs and jokes and says that <laughs> she's gone to the Laramie School of Speech Pathology and just through those phone calls and really, um, ta again, talking about kids that we shared or just children she was seeing on her caseload. And Johnny would say all the time, I wish I could bottle that. I wish I could just record the conversations and get this out there because this is really good stuff that you guys are just talking about, you know, from visit to visit. And so that's how the podcast started. When we launched the website in 2008, um, that fall, Johnny really said to me, why don't we do a podcast? Now, at that point, I said, what's a podcast? I had no idea. Oh, my, I get <laughs> and, that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we still get it too when we go to conferences. I get to speak around the country to groups of speech language pathologists and other early interventionists. And a lot of folks still don't know about this great resource that we have. No, they don't. And they'll just nod their head. We like, oh, yeah. yeah. Podcast. No, yeah. Yeah. Podcast. yeah. Do you guys have a step by step guide on your website to tell someone how to subscribe to that or how we, to? We do. How to 
that yeah we do too we oh, finally have to put that on there because people really didn't know you know now that i think about it i have done that for for one of my other podcasts but i don't think i've done it for this one uh jason i could pass that over to you maybe we could post that tell people how to you know how, how to subscribe on itunes and all that it, it was really step by step it was actually almost insulting but you know yeah. people who've right. never done it before need that kind of you know, leading through the process, especially if that's new technology for them. What I usually say to therapists in my conferences is tell your teenager that you want to subscribe and hand them your device and right. let them just do it for you. <laughs> uh, because that would be the easy way out for a lot of moms, a lot of therapists who have older kids. So, Yeah. Yeah. Almost anybody's phone will do it these days. And then you could be, if you're driving in your car, you're at the gym or whatever, you can always trying to fill our lives with one more, with one more way to cram stuff in our heads. You know, that's a lot of our listeners say they do it during their workout time. And we have a lot of therapists who say that they listen to teach me to talk with Laura and Kate between appointments. And especially if they're home service providers and, and work in a, a state that, um, they see all of their clients from home to home, so they'll have 20 or 30 minutes between kids, that drive time. And so we get lots and lots of listeners who tell us that's, that we're their regular um, entertainment between kids during the day, and that's really flattering. I love that. So w one of the things I like about, about your podcast is that you tend to um, you have well-defined topics like in advance. You know, like like you've thought this out almost like the curriculum to a class and like sometimes it's a series or whatever. How, how does that creative process work to set all that up? That's just how I think, Mark. And I just I just think that for us as therapists to be able to communicate effectively, we need a plan before we go on. And it would scare me to death not to have. <laughs> Uh, a topic that we could loosely base all of our, um, I guess we base our ramblings on that because sometimes we do kind of get off topic and, and you know, one, one thing will lead to another. But I just really want our show to be educational. And so because of that, I always like to pick one primary thing to talk about and then we go from there. Now, we, Kate and I are both really long-winded. And so we might have a topic that we think will go an hour and six weeks later, it's evolved into a whole series. I think you were talking to me about that Stages of Play series that we That's did. That's our favorite one, yep. yep. Last year. And you know, that started as a one-page handout that I thought would probably go a show or maybe two. And it, it launched a whole series. I don't remember how many weeks it turned out to be, five or six weeks. Um, that's what my new book is going to be about. That's in the winter, I usually stay home and don't speak in comp at conferences and, and work on a new project. And that's our newest project. Um, and again, I think that I just have to have a plan before we go on, and and it's it's worked out so far. So, so since that one has been uh, instrumental in my life or whatever, uh, is, is there any way you could break that down into three to five minutes to just the stages of play? <laughs> oh, and I just laugh and laugh hey, about, how about that. How about the daddy version? Uh, you know, it was it was it was okay. it was. Let me see, stepwise and chronological, in such that sometimes parents could be frustrated because they were trying to play X when the building blocks to X weren't in place. 
And exactly. It, yeah. So I don't know if you can, okay. can you do that from the top of your head? I, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. That's okay. <laughs> and I don't have that right in front of me, but let me just break it down. And if I were, this is exactly Remember, what we're dad. So say, you're a dad if, level. Yeah. If a dad were asking me this in my office, this is what I would say. I would say play develops like every other skill step by step by step. And it's really a process where if you try to jump ahead you can really leave a kid in the dust. And so many times we are playing with children, even when we're doing something as simple as, again, play, we're working at a level that is too complex and just too hard. And we leave our little guys lost because we're using language or using or, or expecting them cognitively to have skipped three, four, five, 17 steps to be at the level that we are. And so with stages of play, I pulled it together from several resources and it really started to break down what happens when a kid plays. You know, so many times I'll go, I'll have folks come into my office or I'll go into a home and work with a family and they're trying to play, you know, Easy Bake Oven or Barbie Dream House or, you know, superheroes when I'm thinking, okay, your baby's really not mastered cause and effect yet. We've got to back it way down so that we can meet him where he is developmentally. And the great thing about that is when we are laser focused on that and when we really look at truly where a child is currently functioning, not based on his chronological age or any kind of, you know, what we want to happen or any goal written on a piece of paper. When we look at what he is doing, when we sit and play with him and we start there, then it's so much easier to make progress. And so that Stages of Play podcast broke broke play down in really specific, simple steps that a parent could use at home to really walk their child through that process to the point that they can begin to see some new skills come in. And, and the reason that I do everything <laughs> is so that we teach kids how to communicate effectively. But if we don't look at play as a foundation for that and the cognitive skills that a child develops through play, we are never going to get anywhere with language. And a lot of professionals, especially speech language pathologists, don't have that um, they might know that, but they don't use that every day or in, from week to week with sessions. And again, that's something that I know parents don't know enough about. So we took that five or six week series and really broke that down. And again, I think those have been our most popular shows throughout the four and a half year history of our podcast. All right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess I liken it to um, uh, the, the first time this came up, was a physical thing of um, rolling over. Right. You know, and then you, my wife and I sat and we watched a video which said, oh, they need to be able to, and I, I can't remember what the steps were, you know, move their arm, maybe it was sitting up, you know, move their hand like this and then move their arm like that. And I guess with the typical developing child, they, they try so many things that it randomly happens and then it makes a click and then, and then they're done. But, you know, there were several of those physical milestones that we had to break down into smaller steps so you i take think, it for granted you take it for granted so yeah. that was that, exactly. that was pretty cool so uh, are there any other ones other than the stages of play that you've broken down into into stages like that 
you know, we've done a series for about every topic that you can imagine. And, um, you know, I, again, I think we have a pretty, a pretty deep bench there with, with what our topics have been as far as um, speech and language. Let me just, let me just use this time to talk about, use another example like expressive communication with kids. A lot of parents, and, and one thing I really try to teach speech language pathologists when I um, get the chance to speak to a group of professionals is so many times as a, a speech therapist, we go straight to talking. We go straight to working on words. We go straight to looking at that expressive language goal and not paying enough attention to all of the foundational skills that have to come in first. And so with so many of our kids, we need to really be looking at uh, their receptive language, how they understand language. And before that, their cognition, you know, how they're learning, how they're beginning to think, how they're problem solving. And even before that, we need to make sure that a child has established a social connection. And so, again, I think that's one thing I've tried to do with every project, every book, every DVD, every article on the website is really help a parent start with the goals that they have, but then walk it back and figure out the point where that connection is not being made by their child and, and work on that. And again, meet the kid where he is developmentally and, and then move forward from there. Does that make sense? It does. That kind yeah. of analogy. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that, Laura, too? It seems obvious, but you just don't think to stop and break it down. You could spend so much time just being frustrated. Right. Eating it when you could just break it down a little bit and let's see how we can do this a different way. So. Right. So let's, let's talk about something like sign language. A lot of times a speech pathologist will say, well, your child's not ready to talk yet, so we're going to teach some signs. And that is great. That is a wonderful goal. But then they still don't break that down further in that a child needs to be using some communicative actions or gestures first. Like you can't really teach a kid to sign more until he knows how to bring his hands to midline. So if a child's not holding a bottle or not playing with a block and able to hold it with both hands there in front of him, he's not going to be able to sign more. And so again, you've got to really look at what skill you're looking for, figure out the prerequisites for that, work on those, and then voila, that skill comes in, you're able to reach that, that goal. But again, sometimes I think we as therapists skip too many steps or we don't talk to parents about that clearly enough so that they understand um, all the things that it might take to, to reach whatever goal they've established for a child. That's why it's really important as parents that you talk to your therapist and say, you know, how realistic is this goal? How, how do you see this? What, what are the short-term goals that we have to work on at home so that we can get to whatever long-term goal there might be because again, so many people go to the speech therapist and they think they're going to, the kid's going to come out talking without really, you know, looking at all the things that have to happen. You know, sometimes I'll say there's no magic speech therapy wand. And sometimes we forget to tell parents that and to talk about developing language and developing speech in a clear enough way so that parents get that that's a longer term process or a longer term goal. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, 
so al- along those same lines, I, I am very curious about how you work on developing speech. Um, I mean, you say you work from birth till three. So what do you do in the, in the birth till first words before, to, to help to develop speech? How much time do we have, Jason? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're pretty unlimited here. It's the dad version, so it has to be like five minutes. Okay, here we go. Here's the dad version. Okay. We've got to work on establishing a social connection. And, you know, because this is a show uh, with children, featuring children and families, where Down syndrome is the the, uh, particular audience here, uh, that... Thankfully, that social social skills are a strength for lots of kids with Down syndrome. But I've also treated kids with Down syndrome who have autism, who don't have that social connection as their strength. So again, I think that's the very first thing that we're looking at with a, a kid, a really, really young kid. Now, just because I say my practice is birth to three doesn't mean that I'm going to see kids, you know, at two weeks or at eight weeks. Because I'm a speech pathologist, we wait until there's a communication delay or disorder right. <laughs> already there. Now, lots of our kids with Down syndrome do get those early referrals. And I, I think that's awesome. And I think it really depends on the program that you're using for funding or or your geographical area as to how early you would see a speech pathologist. How early were you guys referred for speech for your children? We were, we were relatively early on. Um, I know several friends of ours who um, the services or whatever, you know, denied them, them going to speech and, and they were, they were very frustrated about that. We went through, um, you know, our, our private insurance and, and paid some, some percentage. Um, so we did get services relatively early. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would like to say six months or so, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I would definitely emphasize to, for children with down syndrome that you do qualify for those services and you should fight for them as early as possible because absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right from the beginning is when you need them. Definitely. And they're there and you just need to know, to push and ask and find the right person. We had the same issue. Just to be real quick, you know, uh, they said no, they're not available. No, they're not available. We went to a, a conference and there was a speech therapist in the room, and we said, you know, we're no one's available in our area, and they just raised their hand and said, I'm available. Let's get started. And that's how we. It wasn't. That's, that's how we started. It and turned out it wasn't really availability, was it, Rick? No, and we missed a year because of that. So. You know, if we can share something with somebody else. Now, luckily, in, in my daughter's case, at least for me, that's her strength, and she's doing a really great job with it, and we were able to catch up. But, you know, for anyone, I would definitely say don't take no for an answer. And this is a, such a crucial skill uh, yeah. for the rest of your life. Um, exactly. Push for that. And if you can't get there, find an advocate that can help you get there because it's not only on you. Exactly. Yep. Mark, how, how did you say when you started? Did you start pretty you, soon? We had to fight as well. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you listen to resources like this or, or other resources and they say, you don't have to wait for there to be a delay. You know, you, right. there are things you can do right away. And that once, you know, I think the um, uh, in the IEP, they could kind of smell that we weren't going to give up. <laughs> we, right. were, we were going to give up on that. Then uh, we, we, we did get services fairly early. 
Yeah, and I do think that that's critically important. Even if you're not seeing a speech pathologist every week, even if you're especially that birth to 12-month period, if you're just doing monthly visits. Now, if your child has feeding issues, you need to be seeing a speech-language pathologist immediately uh, because that's a, a different issue so that you can get feeding going in the right direction. But I really encourage parents to just, you know, be the squeaky wheel. Keep doing whatever you have to do to make sure that your child gets seen. And I certainly have had um, that uh, happened too, Rick, the story you were sharing where, where parents would just call me directly and say, they say that you're not available or they say that you, that you can't see my kid. You know, can you see my child? And so sometimes it really... Um, hearing from a parent directly <laughs> will sometimes magically an opening will appear in your schedule. So I would really encourage parents not to take um, an answer, especially when you're dealing with uh, a funding source who seems a little bit reluctant to provide that service. Go ahead and push. And yeah, Laura, this is the uh, what we, our pushback was. Oh well, she has a great. I think it's suck swallow reflex or something like that. Right. And. But then we come to find out that that's, you know, that's very subjective. And right. one person said it's good. One person said it's not good. And exactly. really, everybody needs it anyway. So, yeah. And I certainly would be pushing for um, speech therapy services, even in that birth to month, birth to 12 month period, even if feeding is not really a huge concern. Go ahead and push for that. I don't see my families that, that I've seen with kids with Down syndrome, I don't see them weekly until unless there's that need there. And I don't do feeding anymore since I'm a language person and you know you can't, when you decide that you want to have a website and speak all over the country and write some books and things, you have to let some things go. So feeding is one of the, the areas in my practice that we have such great feeding specialists here in Louisville that I was able to just pass that off to some other folks. Um, but even, even kids that, um, I, again, my point is I may not have seen them weekly, but I certainly had them on my caseload and worked with that family at least monthly to let them know these are the things that I want you guys doing for your home program. This is what I want you working on. This is how we break it down on a day-to-day -day level. You know, and I would say to moms, this is what dad needs to do. These are the thing, the three things that I want you guys to focus on because I think when we approach any skill, I don't care if it's a motor skill, um, you know, a, a you know, a self-care kind of thing, whatever we're working on. Things that we work on get better. And so to be able to break it down like that and give really specific strategies, I think can make so much of a difference in the children that make progress and the children that, that um, keep pace versus the kids who don't. And I, when I was thinking about doing the show today, one thing that I really... I was talking to Johnny about it and the things that I wanted to be sure to say is, you know, the families that I've had that have been most successful, particularly the children um, with Down syndrome, who I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, in this past 20 years, the make or break point has always been how committed are their parents? How tuned in are they to that they really have to become therapist in, um, you know, in everyday life and that they're really keeping pace 
with their child, what they're, what they're struggling with, and especially when they begin to make progress in an area so that we can do everything we can to support that development. And the families that I look back over the years through have all, the families that have done, and the kids that have done the best have been the families where the parents have been so committed, and particularly when dads have been involved. So I just want to congratulate the three of you for being those kinds of dads and Ooh, for hopefully right. inspiring other other dads to jump right in there and not just leave it to mom and let it be, um, you know, again, a priority for them. So hats off to you guys. Hey, I, I had another question along that line. Um, when, when we, one of the things we had to fight for was the type of speech that we would get. And there were two divisions that were touchy, so to speak. One was at home versus, you know, at the school. Uh, that has to do with the least restrictive environment thing. And the other one, I'll just throw both questions at you at once, was uh, uh, one-on-one speech versus in a group setting. Yeah. I'm not a big group person. Um, And again, I've never worked as a school speech pathologist because that's just not my calling and not where I'm comfortable. Um, But I really think kids need one-on-one services, and I really think, especially in that birth to three window, that parent-driven programs where parents are present during sessions and really talking with and establishing a relationship with that therapist, you know, I think that's the best treatment model, especially for that birth to three time period. Um, But one of my my favorite professional experiences until now, until I get to do all this cool stuff all over the country, though, was when I ran a developmental playgroup program in Louisville. And we had our kids come to our center for five hours a week. So they were there two days, two and a half hours per day. And we had a one to three ratio, one therapist versus every three little friends. And we got phenomenal results even with that treatment model. So there certainly is a, a place for that, but I still think that one-on-one direct service is, is best when they're in that early intervention window. I think we're going to have a whole podcast on uh, how to keep from getting pushed off and how to get what you need during your IEP and all of that because some of that comes from, you know, comes from budget constraints and whatnot, exactly. which, are, which are frustrating. Very, very frustrating. And, you know, I kind of have a personal story with that. You know, I I told you earlier that we have three children and our oldest son um, has a reading disability, has dyslexia. He can thank his father for that. And we, um, that was a joke, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to jump in and say, good good job, Johnny, but I didn't want to derail you or anything. Laughing on mute over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he needed an IEP through all through elementary school. We actually pulled out of the public school system for two years for him to go to a private school that specialized in dyslexia. And my point about this is I could give, as, as the professional, when I went to a meeting, an IFSP for one of my little guys in birth to three, I could sit and, and you know, give, give assessment results and talk about someone else's child and, you know, deliver what might be the most horrible news that they've ever heard in their entire lives and feel bad about it, but I could still get up and walk away and go to my next appointment. But when I went to an IEP 
as the mom of that boy there and had a different role, I might hear the same um, words, not so much in, you know, as he didn't have a communication delay or disorder, but talking about his reading and his particular learning disability, you know, I would cry like a baby when I heard that news about my child. And when I heard and when I listened to his struggles or when I felt pushed off or that we weren't going to get the services he needed. And so as a parent, it was a totally different ball game. And so we had to end up really um, <laughs> taking advantage of our state child and protection advocacy board. And we had an attorney um, walk us through that process. And I had known her professionally. So we were able to, she actually was the head, the lead person in the state. So I got to kind of throw her name around a little bit. It helps to be connected, that, doesn't it? Yeah, it was so effective. You just would not believe. And again, I think because I was a speech pathologist too, that sometimes the school system already had, they were kind of ready for me and kind of saw me coming. But it, it sometimes it, you wouldn't think that that would, um, you would think that that would be a plus, but sometimes it was actually a minus. So I just want to say, as someone who's been on the professional side plus the personal side, you will never find a bigger advocate for your child than yourself. You will never find someone who wants him to succeed as much as you do. You will never find someone who knows your baby as well as you do. And so you've just got to dig in and figure out what you can do um, to get the services that, that he or she needs. And if you have therapists that are fighting you on that, you you really got to develop some personal relationships so that they um, can help you and, and be in your corner and, and break rules and, and make exceptions and do all those kinds of things. And I think developing those personal relationships really are the best ways to do that. All right. What do you say, guys? Anybody else have any other questions for Laura? I have like 10 more, but I don't want to hog. I, what, I have one. Um, so what is your opinion of, of sign language? I know that, that um, you know, some people say it, it inhibits speak, speech communication, verbal communication, but um, I'm just curious. Can we just what, be honest here, Jake? Can we just be really honest here? Is this Jason? It yes. is, yeah. I think that is crap. Can I say crap on your show? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I think that's crap. I love crap. Good. Me too. Because, let's talk about this. Communication, and I hope I'm not defending anyone. If, you, if the three of you are big no sign language advocates, let me take this opportunity to change your mind. No, I changed mine already. I'm there. The, re the research really tells us that, and I like to say this, um, Rachel from Signing Time says this, and I have stolen her quote, communication begets communication, meaning that just because a child learns how to gesture and you interpret that and, you know, that in no way, shape or form leads to laziness with developing verbal speech and so all of us use gestures to communicate every day some of those are not so pleasant we we shouldn't <laughs> even use some of the gestures that we use when we're driving but we all read nonverbal communication all day long so to take that away from a child to me 
is the same as saying, listen, I don't want you to crawl because you may never walk. It is the same analogy to me. You know, why would we take a form of mobility away just because we were scared that a kid would never achieve that ultimate mobility, which is walking? This, that's, that's what I like in sign language too. It, it, for lots of children, it's just a way to get there. And it's a way to, to um, augment what they're already trying to do. And for children with typically developing language, they learn to use gestures too. Gestures almost always precede spoken words. And so, so that's what sign language is. It's a gesture. It's like waving. It's to say goodbye. It's like clapping to say, yay, I did a good job. It's like pointing to mean, look, pay attention to this. It's just another way. And then another reason I love signs is because it helps children become symbolic. And again, if I were talking to a real live dad in front of me, if he had a confused look on his face at this point, I would say all words are symbols. You know, a ball isn't really a ball. That's just the word that we've come up for it. That's a symbol, you know, and so signs are also symbols that we use to communicate. And so I do think it bridges a really important gap for a lot of kids. And so I, I will never, ever, ever change my mind about sign language because I've seen it be so successful with so many kids. And I've had so many little friends with Down syndrome who end up just champion signers and who may know, you know, 75, 100, 200 signs before we start to hear those first words come in. And I would have hated to limit them and to, um, you know, miss all of that communi rich communication, all of that communicative intent because we didn't give them a way to do it. And that would be through sign language. So I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of that. And those, uh, those alternative is frustration. I'm sorry. Go on. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to just jump in and say, I really like those videos. I mean, I can still sing the song if you want, but you probably don't <laughs> want, but you know, signing time with Alex and Leah. Yeah. With yeah. the tape on the I fingers. Bring my wife on with you when I do a duet, Mark. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it's huge. And I, th I really, in my mind, if someone is telling you not to sign with a, a kid, that would be a red flag for me. That would be a red flag for, I think, someone who um, maybe wasn't as successful as he or she could be with um, early intervention and establishing early communicative skills. And it, it's explosive too, right? So you learn a couple signs, yes. then you learn more and more and more, and then the words start coming in to follow, and exactly. it just they follow each other. It's amazing. Um, I have a, so I have a two-month-old son now, and I can't wait to get going with this stuff. I feel like I'm going to be like the greatest parent ever after going through all this therapy, uh, you know, speech, Hi. language, occupational. Yeah, I want I want my son to get into that too. And I was just asking my wife today, when can we? When are, what are we going to do for him rolling over? Or what are we going to do for him with um, with the gestures and uh, sign language and she's like you just got to wait a little bit take your time with that but you know I can hardly keep myself from signing with a kid and I know that especially um, hearing impaired uh, kids with that have that strictly auditory approach with hearing impairments that that may be the only yeah. almost exception that I would give for any particular population. But for kids with Down syndrome, again, I have just had huge, huge, huge successes with uh, teaching my little friends with Down 
Down syndrome and their families to sign. And that's the other thing. You can't just use those signs in therapy sessions. You've got to use them all day. And my very uh, best families have been actually kids with, with slightly older siblings. So siblings that might be six or eight or even four. And they are really learning the signs right alongside their little brothers and sisters and almost um, serve as the junior speech therapist, you know, oh, for the rest of the, the that, rest of the time. That, that's, that's what I have in my house. Uh, you know, any, not to say any, but a, a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff comes from having two older children. So I have three children. I have a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old girl, a 12-year-old boy, a 9-year-old girl, and then my 4-year-old son, Luke. And they would always watch the signing. Anytime there's a television on, you know, kids are just drawn to it. And then, you know, at the dinner table, we would kind of have a little contest to see who could remember the most signs. So exactly. they were That's into it. True. Yeah. And you're never just doing the signs, right? You're doing the signs with the words all the time, right? So exactly. They, yep. they can see you in their, in their face, you know, moving your mouth, saying the words, making the signs. You know, the best part about signing for parents is that it really helps us slow down. And so instead of saying, if we're going to give our kid a cookie, instead of saying, hey, do you want this great chocolate chip cookie that I just bought for you at Kroger after we dropped your brother off at soccer and before we picked your sister up from ballet, you know, a kid gets lost in all of that language. But when we are signing cookie, want a cookie, it really forces us to slow down, to simplify, and to be repetitive. So I think that's the very best part about signs um, for families. All right, so there you have it. Anybody who says that signing is bad can come talk to Laura, and Laura will have a special sign just for them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I don't think my daughter would say please and thank you as much as she does, or even that she does do it without having the signs, because you know exactly. we teach her to say finish with please or yeah. do thank you, and you know that carries through. Does she well, still sign from time to time, Rick? Well, you know, I always get her with the please whenever she's always asking me for stuff, you know, and I like I'll do the please sign just to catch her off guard, and she'll go, oh yeah, please, you know. So, but uh, no, yeah. actually, we're past. We're we're not really doing. It. Uh, she we just do it when. Um, just for fun sometimes, but we're not really. Well, you know, you can really use like you're doing with her, you're using your sign to cue politeness, but we can really use signs to cue um, verbal words for a lot of kids who are just at that really early talking stage. And so I found signs to be a really effective strategy there where we're getting them to verbally say the word, but, you know, we're giving them kind of that visual cue when we're doing the sign and then we expect them to say the word. So that's successful. Another time signs are really successful. It's when kids are making that leap from single words to phrases. And so a lot of times signing something like more please or thank you, mama, it's easier for them to put the words together when they're using the sign. So I think it's a great strategy that you can use all throughout the preschool period uh, for children with, you know, who've needed signs and who've used that to learn to talk. I think as far as breaking it down and slowing it down, like you were saying, Laura, that is also huge too. So you're getting someone to focus on what you're saying and not just yeah. hearing you, but they're also reinforcing it with seeing it. So maybe Mark, yeah, I am still using it sometimes because if I need Kayla to stop and I sign stop when I say stop, she knows I mean business. That's Do you like, sign stop or I'm you put stop. your finger across your neck? You know, <laughs> <laughs> either way, that's the beauty of signs. That's right. <clears throat> I can give a lot of signs just with a dirty look to all three of my children. Right. But some of those, but the kid picks up on that, right? And they know which one is the, I got to stop this sign. Yeah. And the other yeah, ones they, are the, okay, you're playing around with the sign. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> the visual cue. You didn't realize you were being so academic with that, did you? You're giving visual cues to supplement your speech. Mm. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> awesome. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah, we did that really intentionally. Uh, all right. So any last questions for Laura? I have another one. How okay. about um, I just spoke with, with the – so Dexter goes to a um, an early start preschool program um, a couple days a week for a half day. And I just spoke with the speech pathologist there um, uh-huh. on Friday. And she was <clears throat> um, telling me about – we only spoke very briefly, but she went to some conference where they were they – were, some new things that she had learned were, were the links – between um, gross motor skills and and early speech development and and fine even fine motor skills too, and I was wondering if you have any experience or opinions or knowledge about I that. I do think they're connected. Yeah, and I certainly do think they're connected. And if we look back, if we use typical development as our roadmap here, children usually walk before they talk. Now, we'll find some exceptions to that occasionally, but for the most part, gross motor drives the train. Gross motor drives your cognitive skills because once you're able to move around, you're able to explore your environment a little more. And then when you explore your environment a little more, you're learning more things, you're thinking more things, and that sets the stage for language development. So I certainly think there's a huge, huge connection there and I hope that we get tons of research in the coming years to really explain what about that works. But in my mind, <laughs> that's, that's why we typically see movement um, precede language. And, and you will have some outliers, but for the most part, that's how it happens. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely, yeah. And, and a couple brief brief examples that, that she mentioned make sense too. Like, um, you know, a child needs to learn how to, how to sit up before they can learn to use a, a spoon basically sure. or something like that. You know, they, they need, you know, just in their development cycle, they need to, to have those gross motor skills before they can, can achieve the, the, the more difficult or, or I guess finer yeah. skills. Absolutely. You know, in all of our development, it starts kind of with big picture first, and then you move to smaller, you know, smaller areas. And if you'll think about gross motor development and then fine motor development, and actually speech is the ultimate fine motor activity. Because if you'll think about it, all those little movements with your lips, with your tongue, with your jaw, those are all really fine motor movements, although we don't always think about speech in that way. So we have to get that gross motor piece going first. And for lots of our kids, movement and really getting them active or when we hear them become noisy for the first time too. And so it's it's all connected. All right. Jump I want to ask one quick question. Uh, sure. We jump ahead a couple years to six, my daughter six. Oh, that's and, geriatrics to me, Rick. Oh, man. <laughs> man. You can so. try, but I'll just tell you, I'm, a, I'm an early intervention specialist. But go ahead. Wow. I might be able to answer it. But if I don't, I'll try to point you in the direction of someone who can. That's fantastic. Okay. Uh, the TH sound. So just maybe oh. in general, so everybody knows, like 13 or 30. Yeah. counting and when she hits those numbers it's really tough for her because 
Lots of times we'll just skip them because they're too hard to say. You know, let's talk about TH. TH is the very last consonant sound to develop, even in typically developing children. And, you know, it's not really an error for a kid not to be able to pronounce a TH sound until they're eight. And so if you're looking at your sweet little girl at six, she still has a couple more years before that really would be considered an error that's not developmental. And lots of other kids, I bet in her class, struggle with that sound too. So no big deal. Um, you could try to cue it with, you know, TH is a pretty easy sound to teach because you've got that nice visual cue there by really getting in her face and saying, look, look, look at my tongue. It's between my teeth. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. You can do some stuff like that. But yeah. honestly, I probably wouldn't worry about it just yet. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Rick, you're, I know I'm trying to move us on, but your question reminded me of one that I promised Kim, my wife. Oh, no. She just, she just stopped in, and I could not yeah. convince her to stop on and say hi to you. Well, that one came from my wife, fan. too, so I got to be honest. There I you think. go. So, and I wish that your wives would have come on, especially your wife, Mark, since she listens to the show. You're going to have to give her a great big hug from me on my behalf. I will. I will. And we'll meet you at some conference or something one of these, one of these yeah. times. Yeah. So her question was, you know, Luke's four. And uh -huh. this question goes right towards you, Rick, is that you're a great resource, but we're running out of you because our kids are getting older. <laughs> What's the next thing? What do you recommend that we use, like we, like we use Teach Me to Talk, for children that are four to seven? Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me this on air. You know, I tried to look for some resources for you this afternoon, and I between the baby shower that I had to go to and the, uh, the grocery shopping that needed to be done, I did not get a chance to find anything that I just love. But I'm going to put some feelers out there. And again, because, you know, that's a little older than what I specialize in. I, I don't have some great answers for you off the top of my head, but I'm going to get that. And then you can share that with your listeners at a later date. Sure, we'll, put it, we'll, put it, we'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes each time we do like a little write up on our blog post. Okay. And, and by, now we can and say that. You're gonna... oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say by, by then, you know, really, you have a more of a grasp of where you stand and where you need to focus too. To follow what direction you're, you're yeah. going to as well, but when you hit that that milestone, so exactly. And let me just say this for for families who are listening: just because there are four candles or five candles or six candles on the birthday cake, really may not give you a true picture of where your child is developmentally. So, what I really encourage parents to do is to look at developmentally where their child is because even if you had a six-year-old who was just beginning to use words just beginning to talk you wouldn't really want to not use the strategies that work uh, for a child in that developmental level does that make sense you've got to meet kids where they are so that you are going even if you use different toys or, you know, for those kinds of kids, you might be using apps and things, whereas you would not with a much younger child. But you've got to still use the strategies, you know, that work for that developmental period. So don't get all whacked out about how old a kid is. Really pay attention to where they are developmentally and work there at that level so that you're, you can be sure that you can move forward because you're establishing that great foundation. Does that make sense? It sure does. 
Completely agree. Yeah. Alrighty. So uh, uh, stay with us, Laura. <laughs> if you want, we're gonna we're gonna ask Rick if he's prepared. I don't know. We we, we caught him at the last minute. But are you prepared with uh, the story of the week, buddy? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's this uh, great website that you use for that. What's it called again? Oh, it's called <laughs> DownSyndromeDaily.com. Excellent. Thank you. And it's just a little website that has ideas, things that are happening in the news. And one thing that's related to the holidays is uh, there's a story about a little guy who was uh, recently born, and um, he had a prenatal diagnosis, and the mom said she wasn't shocked about the Down syndrome diagnosis, but had heart issues that were tied into that. And he had the uh, atrioventricular canal defect, had to have surgery. Um, the mom put the information about uh, her experience with heart surgery on Facebook. Um, it, it exploded to 8,000 people looking at this, and people are sending uh, this great little kid uh, Christmas ornaments uh, as tokens of support. He has over 400 ornaments from around the country and around the world. Aww. on a tree in his house. Uh, so uh, it's really cool to see uh, something like that out there and to see the positive response that people have to support, and she said particularly in the area that she lives. So um, uh, the, the named little boy is Sebastian Longstreth, and that's uh, one of the updates, and there's a video on, on the site. To yeah, and a picture, too. He's a cute little bugger. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those heartwarming uh, for the holidays types stories and uh it's really great to see yeah let you know there's good people out there good definitely very holiday i i, I give me the spirit man i got the spirit <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys want to do some moments sure okay i'll start because i got i, Go got, I actually have mine usually i have to i have to reach back but uh <clears throat> the other morning i guess it was saturday morning this was yesterday uh, luke got up really early and I got sent downstairs with him, and uh, I laid on the couch, and this is, this is the, you know, put a movie on. Here we are, you know, <laughs> instead, of, instead of engaging with my child, but it was about 6.30 in the morning <laughs> on a Saturday. Uh, you get a break. Right. So I'm going to lay there, right, and he's going to watch the show, and I go to press the button, and we have this problem with our uh, video system in that it's got the glass doors, but the glass doors are, they're, they block there's there's like a there's like small glass and there's a wooden frame and the wooden frame blocks the area where the where the receptor is for the remote so i'm laying there and i'm holding my arm out one way and i'm holding my arm out the other way trying to get the darn thing to work hoping i don't have to actually get up and sure enough he figured out what was going on and got up and opened the doors for me oh which the the problem solving involved in that with me not having said anything i thought was pretty good that is awesome <laughs> That, that, that he either he knew that, that the a great story either he knew that the beam had to hit it or he had seen that when people had that problem the next step was for them to get up and open the doors i'm not sure which but either way i was i was shocked out of my morning stupor to say wow that was pretty good <laughs> technology just motivation to watch tv is yeah is motivation great, is, is very <laughs> now if huge. there was a cookie in there geez he would have <laughs> he would have broke the door he yanked it off off the off the hinges so there you go that was my moment this week oh that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it down a level to the dad, the dadville here. <laughs> uh, so Colette was traveling last week for a couple of days, and so I was you know single dadding it, and um, we were having dinner one night, and it it broke down into Eloise Eloise. 
This is my daughter. She's four and a half. If you forget the half, she will always remind you. Um, and Dexter is almost two. He'll, he'll be two in a couple months. Um, so we were sitting there, and we were um, – Eloise and I just somehow oh, – it always goes down to, to making um, fart sounds. Nice. And um, so we were wow, making we fart sounds and giggling, and, and, and it was – Dexter, Dexter um, caught on and – finally started making his own fart sounds and, and giggling along with us. And so, you know, it's the first of many fart jokes that he, he was, was working on was his man skills. Part in. It was awesome. Excellent. That's a skill you'll use the rest of your life too. Right. Yeah, for sure. Making, it it making never, fart never sounds. goes away. Never gets unfunny. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. That's awesome. Jason, is he talking? Oh yeah. He's doing really, really well. He, he, um, it took a, a little while. In just maybe the last six months or so, he's really spout, spouted with a lot of different words. Um, now, I mean, he he's saying milk and, and even chicken. He's, yeah. um, he just started the chicken is kind of the newest one. Milk is like maybe a couple weeks old. Um, but he was he was having trouble. He was Really, his only sounds were da, 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 he would say, for every – pretty much everything and then we you know we were using sign language um and that that helped out a lot and you know when we were trying to get him to actually speak and we would say you know mama or papa and 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 he would always just do the sign and so for some reason you know it clicked with us and we would you know we started pointing to our our lips when uh-huh. he'd say, you know, say mama. And then at some point, you know, it clicked and he would go, he now, now whenever, not whenever he says anything, but, but with some things that he's just learning, he'll, he'll still point to his lips and say yeah. mama. And he'll he that visual cue was the yeah. one thing I think either that or he just, you know, he just, it just clicked for him. But the visual cue, I think really helped. Like, you know, we were trying to say, you know, use your mouth, use your, cause right. he, cause he did, you know, back, kind of babble and make different sounds but but to to actually you make the word instead of do the sign like we kept yeah pointing to that yeah Yeah, it 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 worked and now i mean he's he's doing great he'll he repeats a quite a bit of of things um yay but yeah he's he's doing really well actually well here was going to be my point about that and maybe this can be my my moment of the week. I don't know what you guys call that. But so many kids can't do single words yet, but they start to really learn to imitate with those sounds that you just talked about, your those those bodily noises that you just talked <laughs> about. And so they'll start to imitate all of those vocal play kinds of sounds, animal sounds or other environmental sounds or um, even you know a raspberry, they'll really first learn how to vocally imitate. So it is such an important step, and a lot of therapists leave that out of treatment plans. But I think it's huge, and I think that's where dads are so successful because you guys can somehow come up with with sounds that, especially our little ones, want to try to imitate. So it's just a really, really important step, and I'm. Uh, it usually starts to happen for a lot of kids is they'll they'll get a lot of sounds like that before we start to see true words emerge. So I was just about to say, if he's not talking yet, he will be, because that really is a step in the sequence. 
because dad makes this sound all the time and I want to be like dad. Right, right. <laughs> I want to be just like dad. Okay. Uh, all right. What, what did is, I give you did I give you guys the uh what K the Santa for? In the say, last one, say that again. You, you you broke up for a second, buddy. Ah, uh, the what Kayla asked Santa for? Oh no, that sounds. Okay. No, is it another baby? Nah, it's just this is fantastic. So we recorded this. We looked at this on Facebook or something because it's hysterical. But so uh, set the story up. My wife, it, you know, we have a two-month-old baby, and she's breastfeeding. So and everything that goes along with that. And so Santa, Santa, uh, Kayla's going to see Santa, and she goes up to Santa, and we did not prep Santa for this at all but we know she's been saying it for a while and this is what she wants so she goes up to Santa and said and Santa's like what do you want little girl and she said I'd like to have a pump and <laughs> Santa goes a pump for what your bicycle and she goes no for my boobies <laughs> and, and Santa goes oh oh my gosh <laughs> she goes no for my babies I want to feed my babies and he's like oh well, you have to wait a little bit for that little girl but, <laughs> oh that uh, is classic it was hysterical, and it's it's a sense involved. And now that she wants a pink pump, and so that still is at the top of the list. We're trying to like curve her to something else or figure <laughs> something else out, you know. But pumps right up there, so it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I want to see what uh, what the Santa at the mall says to that one. <laughs> <laughs> no clue. No hey, clue. The little boys want to be like us. The little girls want to be like mommy. You know it. I was checking on Facebook, buddy. I was wondering if I could maybe just play that so we could. Yeah, is it, uh, is it audio? I, you know, we could not, it's not up there yet, but uh, oh, okay. Hey, if we have another another podcast, you know, I'll bring her on, and she can just tell everybody what she wants for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> awesome! Be wonderful. Oh, this is gonna be my moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna play my Luke thing that I couldn't play last week because I'm technologically challenged. Hang on, let me turn up the volume first. <laughs> Luke Fantastic. And worked, Luke and I worked on that for a while. <laughs> all right all right so is that your moment buddy you got something else you want to share rick oh that's my moment definitely yeah well you can't come up with better can't, than can't, that <laughs> <laughs> hey I, I don't i don't want to pump for christmas but i can't think of anything better yeah. other than that she's getting along great with her our new little brother he's two months old and uh you know in the beginning she's really trying to, to signal people uh, single people out and can't understand really why people want to see this little baby, but now she's. Uh, we're saying we're going places or doing things, and she's saying, and Logan's coming too, right? So uh, it's really cool to just hear her, you know, being involved with her brother and loving on her brother and stuff. So that's going to be super. Yeah. That's going to be super, man. Alrighty. What do you say? Have we done a show here? I think so. so yeah, you forgot. Yeah. Uh, you got some uh, plugs for Teach Me to Talk? Right. No, I guess. Okay. Oh, right. So plugs. I, I, yeah. I, this 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 the previous part, and uh, of course we want to tell people uh, uh, the the site we've been we've been talking up is teachmetotalk.com. Uh, there are actual resources right there where you can count. Like for instance, um, how many words does it take before a kid will string two words together? You know, Laura actually you know instead of being all uh, uh, go around the topic like a lot of people will, she gives numbers. And, uh, you know, for different some of the different stuff she's gone through in her podcast, that's all on there. There are books, DVDs, uh, maybe even audio CDs. And, of course, the the, uh, the podcast itself is uh, you can get to it from there. Anything else I'm missing, Laura? You got a conference coming up or anything? 
you know, I don't have any more conferences for this year. We travel in the fall and we stay home in the winter so I can write a new book. But I did want to talk about this great new website that we're doing. It's called My EI2. It's it's not up yet, but it's launching in, in 2013. And actually, it's going to be a multidisciplinary site where you can watch short videos and see treatment plans uh, for moms and dads at home that want to try to tackle some of those skills. And it's going to be written kind of in a homework format or a home programming format. So I'm so excited about that. So say, say, it, say it again. Break it down slow. Okay. <laughs> sign, sign it to me. It's going to be a website. EI2, my, like the word my, M-Y-E-I, standing for early intervention. And we put a two there because the name of the this whole offshoot is early intervention, education, and ideas. And it's going to be a website with how-to videos from therapists who are speech pathologists like me, plus developmental interventionists and physical and occupational therapists. So we'll take a topic or a skill or a milestone and really break it down in those little steps like you were talking about, Mark, so that a therapist who needs some help can learn it or a parent can watch the video, download the written guide, and then work on those things at home. So I think it's going to be a new, fabulous resource I've just piloted the first of those um, videos on teachmetotalk.com. It's the Christmas therapy guide. So you can get some really cute ideas for working on language using some holiday related themes. And it's a 50 minute video that uh, walks you through six different therapy activities that you can do. And then a 16 page PDF that you download too. And it's, it's I think a great, great resource and then one more thing that's on the website that we didn't talk about were the therapy tip of the week videos that I did in, in 2012. And take a look at some of those because, again, uh, I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> yeah, some videos that a parent can watch at home and then be able to duplicate the activities with their child. Lots of dads have written me about therapy tip of the week and said, oh, I finally get it. This was easier for me than reading an entire article or trying to read a book about it. You know, this made sense to me. So that might be a great resource too. Yeah, we're, yeah, we like we're, tips. We're, we're a little bit like your subjects. So you need to break things down into small pieces for us. <laughs> I love dads. I love committed dads. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, what about uh, um, uh, Downright Awesome, buddy? You guys have been pretty active lately, haven't you? Uh, I don't know. No. Really. <laughs> That's not true. We've been, we've been, uh, well, we just recently reposted the t-shirt link and, um, and our, our friend podcast veteran Kelly Hampton also, um, hooked us up and, and I think on her Instagram feed or one of those social media feeds, she, she posted the, the picture for, or for the t-shirts as well. So she has, we've gotten several orders in the last uh, 24 hours because of that. So, um, yeah, downrightawesome.com slash store to buy a awesome t-shirt that is the most comfortable t-shirt you'll ever, you'll ever, you'll ever own. I'm wearing mine and, right now. Um, but, I, but I wanted to mock you as, as this, oh no, I wasn't. I was wearing it before I went to the gym. Now, now I'm wearing a different shirt. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, the picture on the website is of this shirt be. hanging on a clothesline. And what you or your wife couldn't couldn't model this for us so we could see how you know mad handsome you are or, or, or you know how beautiful your wife is? 
there's a, there's some pictures floating out there with us. Right from the walk. Yeah. You don't right. need to see us on the. It's a little artistic. Uh, the uh, Facebook stuff has them. Yeah. See if we do a family shot. Yeah, yeah. Mock him that way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> the clothesline. Uh, my wife brought all that clothesline stuff down to the park and hung it up and thought it, it would be, you know, an artsy, it, it is a little artsy kind of thing. Yeah, it, uh-huh. it's it, it's kind of cool. It's almost like here's an empty shirt. Come fill it. It's like, yeah. It's the a first shirt pictures that we had, you. I put them, I laid them out on the floor in our house and took a picture and put it up, and so that was not good enough. So we, you know, got nice string and little mini clothes pins and went to the mm-hmm. park and took pictures there. So it's awesome. I, I defer on those artsy things. But All right, not my not my cup of tea. Well, uh, oh, and we also have, uh, we've already plugged mid- midway, but we'll do it again, uh, Down Syndrome Daily. Thank you. Where you can learn more about the, uh, uh, the young child, was it Sebastian? Right. Uh, who got all the Christmas ornaments, watch the video, and, and, and keep up to date with all sorts of new stuff there. Of course, we all have Facebook pages. We got one for um, uh, Down Syndrome Radio as well. Uh, is there one for Down, um, uh, Down Syndrome Daily as well? Of course. Yep. Of course. Do you have one, uh, Laura? Uh-huh. Teachmetotalk.com. Teach me no to talk spaces do- when you look for that one. Teach me right. to talk. No Teach me to talk. No spaces. You've already done it. You're so good. <laughs> All right. Well, then again, there you go. We are the Downright Awesome Dads. Uh, we thank you for listening to us here. Uh, and we are available on iTunes under uh, um, Down Syndrome Radio. We are available on the web at uh, downrightawesome.com slash DSR. And, of course, we also have a Facebook page. We'd love a like. We'd love a subscribe. And we'd love a comment on iTunes. Mm-hmm. All right. This is the part where I play a song. I should be ready for that. Here we go. What will the song be? Suspense. Little Bruce Springsteen. Nice. There you go. Thanks for joining us, Laura. It was a fun time. Thank yeah. you. Thank that you. was awesome, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, that was very good. Thank you very much. Wait, hang on. Did 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 Dexter just wake up? <laughs> oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the Jaws warning things on that. <laughs> it never gets old, does it? No, no. Hey, everybody listening, download the podcast app on your iPhone and subscribe. Yes, please. I know it's easy to go to the website, right-click, and just listen or whatever. And for the time update, it's coming up on 119 now. Not bad. We never make an hour. Never. Amazes me every time. We like to give our listeners 20% extra. That's just how we roll. Actually, 20 minutes would be. That'd be 33% extra. <laughs> Stick around, Laura. I got one more thing I'm going to ask you before you before you leave us tonight. It's a secret. I know what it is.
guess I should have played a Christmas song. I'm going to do that next time. I took month-long vacations in the stratosphere And you know it's really hard to hold your breath Swear I lost everything I ever loved or feared I was a cosmic kid in full costume dress But my feet, they finally took root in the air But I got me a nice little place in the stars And I swear I found the key to the universe In the engine of an old parked car I hid in the mother rest of the crowd When they said pull down, I pulled up Pulling up Pulling up Down, pick up, bell.